your Bibles and you want to turn to Philippians, that's where we're going to be starting this morning. And again with, with verse 1 in chapter 1. And it reads, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Now it's interesting that Paul would use the term slaves of Christ Jesus. Instead of many times in his other letters, he would say he's the, the Apostle Paul. The apostle, And so he's bringing this letter down to be a little bit more of a personal nature instead of asserting his authority, which he needed to do with some of the other churches. And so um, as he addresses them, he calls himself a slave of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and the deacons. So that's who it's to. He didn't leave anybody out. Why he emphasized the elders and the deacons, nobody really knows for sure. But I think it's wonderful that, that he at least acknowledged, hey, this church has grown. They've got elders. They've got deacons. Because this church is only 10 years old at this time. And so he acknowledges that. He didn't want to disclude anyone. He called, you know, includes the, the holy people, which are really saints. Have you ever thought about yourself as a saint? We don't do that very often. Our mindset is a saint is the old grandma who is just gentle and sweet and, and just, you know, everybody loves her. That's what we generally think of saints. But we're all, as we have accepted Christ as Savior, we're all saints of God. Pretty crazy. So, all right, verse 2 says, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Grace and peace. Um, as I was doing study for this, um, one of the commentaries pointed out, grace has to come before peace. Grace has to come. We have to experience the, the grace of God through Jesus Christ before we can have peace with God. So whether Paul put that in that order for that purpose or not, but uh, I think it was a, a very nice little takeaway. Grace comes before peace. Verse 3 says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Paul is projecting um, a thanksgiving, but he just doesn't say thank you. He says, I give thanks to my God for you. It just has a whole lot more power before it when we're thanking God for somebody. And so uh, I think, again, it just reinforces how fond Paul was of the church in Philippi. As you read through Paul's letters in the New Testament, though, you will observe that they are abundant in utterances of prayers filled with thankfulness. He usually has that to some component at the, the beginning of his letters. I remember back um, on the subject of Thanksgiving and, and visiting with one of my brother-in-laws years ago, and my sister had done something really nice, and I, I don't remember what it was, and and somebody was thanking her, and and so they bought her a gift to express their Thanksgiving, and then my sister wrote a thank you back for the thank you gift, and my my brother-in-law says, so when does the thank you stop? At what point? And I thought, well, does it have to? <laughs> Is there a reason that we have to stop the thank yous? Because they can be so powerful and encouraging. They not only bless the person who writes the thank you or gives the thank you, but it also blesses the person who is receiving the thank you as well. 
So Paul is, is expressing his thanksgiving to the Philippians. And then he moves into expressing his thanksgiving with joyful prayers for the church in Philippi. Verse 4 says, Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. So here's the kickoff for joy running throughout Philippians. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. So with a prayer, Paul praises the saints in Philippi for their constant witness and their concern for the gospel, beginning with the first time that they heard it. And if you'll remember last week, Paul mentions in, in uh, Acts 16 what those things were that, actually Luke wrote Acts, but is addressing it um, about Philippians and and Paul ministering to them, what it was that they did in response to the gospel. What was the initial response? Because we learned that after eagerly responding to the message and the invitation to repent of their sin and receive Christ as Savior and Lord, Lydia and her family and the jailer and his family took that next step and were baptized. Because that was them demonstrating that outward sign of that inward change. Throughout the book of Acts, we see this as a normal progression of our faith. And we're going to have that summer baptism, giving other people the opportunity to demonstrate that that inward change in an outward way. But so they were baptized. That was the initial thing that they did after receiving Christ. That eager response encouraged Paul in continuing to spread the gospel. The church in Philippi also offered hospitality. If you'll remember, Lydia opened her door to Paul and his companions, said, come stay with me while you're here in Philippi. And so Paul is is showing how the Philippian church also modeled joy, overflowing generosity by offering hospitality. You know, back in those days, they didn't have the hotels like we have today, and so people would invite people into their homes. And, and, and we practice that here in, in Hill City as well, um, in that when we have a visiting missionary, we usually open up a home and allow them to stay with us. And not only is it a great time for the missionary to be ministered to, as their itineration road gets quite long, um, but it also gives us, whoever it is that's hosting them, a chance to be ministered to as well because there's encouragement when we share life together and share our faith together. So they eagerly responded, they offered hospitality, and then they supported him financially. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians 8, um, 1 through 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, to see how it is recorded about the church in Philippi, and their generosity in supporting Paul in his missionary's journeys. Starts out with verse 1. And he's writing to the church in Corinth. So he's kind of um, almost encouraging, almost spurring on the church in Corinth to, to be like the church in Philippi in their generosity. So verse 1 says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Again, Philippi was in Macedonia. 
since they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they have not only that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They did it they even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. And when we read this, we wonder, well, why would they have begged again and again to have that privilege of sharing in the offering to the believers in Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem, the church there was being persecuted during this time, and so quite often then that meant that income wasn't coming in for those that were being persecuted. They couldn't get work and those kind of things, and so they were very destitute. They were very poor. And, but the church in Philippi couldn't just, you know, do the PayPal thing. They couldn't do the credit card thing. They couldn't put their check in the mail with a stamp. They needed someone to be able to take their offering to Jerusalem for them. And, and I didn't find how far it is, but just doing a, a little measurement on the map, it was over, it appears to be anyway, over a, a thousand miles that that offering would have needed to go. Um, and so obviously a, a great distance that that offering would have needed to go. And, and the church in Philippi said, we really want to help our brothers and sisters out, will you take this offering for us? When we think about giving, our minds in the church usually go to tithing. 10% of our income, that's our tithe. And, and you can certainly find Old Testament scriptures that support that, and that's kind of the generally accepted you know, standard of, of giving in the church is the tithe on our, on our income, on our increases. But when we look at the New Testament, we see that it's about generosity. A tithe is a great place to start, but generosity is, is really obediently giving out of the joy that God has given us through Christ. Generosity is that true expression of godliness, of gratefulness, and it overflows from a heart filled with joy. Obediently giving what God places on our hearts to give, it's going to look different for every single one of us. It's going to uh, be of our finances, but it might also be for somebody in need, just as the church in Jerusalem. You may help a brother and sister out. You may give to a need. It's going to be in supporting missions or a missionary. This church responded in, in a wonderful way when we had Destiny Rescue come. Because not only were we supporting rescuing girls from uh, sex slavery, but we were also giving them an opportunity to also make money by buying their jewelry. And so there was a, a, a two-for-one thing going on there. And so that's a, a way that we were generous 
with our finances. But we're also um, encouraged to, to give of our time as well. To give us our time. And of course we've been um, encouraging you to find your place in, in where it is that you are called to serve. How has God equipped you uniquely to serve? And so we give of our time and of our talents. Of course, again, it's also opening our homes and demonstrating hospitality. It might be having your neighbor over for a cup of coffee. It might ha- be having a, a missionary stay with you overnight. But it's also here in our church when people come in to welcome them, to help them know that, that, they are, that you're, we're glad that they're here, and it's demonstrating hospitality here as well. As Paul continues his thank you letter, again, encouraging um, the, the church in Philippi, a commonly quoted verse that powerfully speaks of God's faithfulness is verse 6. And it says, And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. When I read this verse, I can't help but think about Ruth Graham. She um, passed away in in 2007, Um, but before she did, she wanted to make sure that her family, that, that Billy, her husband, knew what she wanted on her tombstone. And if you were to go to her grave today, you would see, see a simple, rough stone. There's no accomplishments that are listed on there. It doesn't say that she was a mom who survived five kids. It doesn't say that, that she was a wife of the probably most well-known evangelist um, of our day. And that when he would go off on the uh, uh, evangelistic circuit, that, that she would be there raising the kids during that time on her own. And, and maybe a word of encouragement for, for a young mom in, in, in the, the building this morning, or, or maybe somebody else who life is just really busy. What Ruth Graham did is she would take out the word of God, and, and she would have it usually open to the book of Proverbs, sitting in the kitchen, so that when she was going by taking care of the kids, she would be able to read just a little snapshot of God's word to keep her going, to keep her focused. Um, and, and so just if your life is busy, um, think about Ruth Graham and, and have that Bible open somewhere that you're walking by it frequently um, for encouragement for you. But it, didn't have any of her, it doesn't have any of her accomplishments listed on her tombstone. What she chose as her epitaph was, was taken from a road sign that she once saw. In her travels with Billy, she saw this road sign. And it simply says, end of construction, thank you for your patience. I think that is a wonderful representation of sanctification, this process of becoming more and more like Christ. And I think it's a really good reminder when we think about this end of construction. Thank you for your patience. To consider that your spouse, that your kids, that even the person that you're sitting next to this morning is still under construction. 
And hopefully that's going to generate patience and understanding and, and grace to one another. Because remember, the person sitting in your chair and the person standing up here is also under construction as well. But if we can remember that, um, I think it's, it's just a great encouragement for us. It sums up the good work that God's doing within us. It's that process of making us holy, of maturing us in Christ, forming us to be more like him. But it isn't finished until the day that Jesus Christ returns. Now, Ruth's husband, Billy Graham, talked about sanctification this way. He said, it's being, being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It's a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. And that overflowing generosity through joy is a normal part of that growth. Another way it's been stated is God who began a good work in us continues it throughout our lifetime and will finish it when we meet him face to face. God's work for us began when Christ died in the cro- on the cross in our place. His work in us began when we first believed. And now the Holy Spirit lives in us and is enabling us to be more like Christ every day. And Paul's describing the process of Christian growth and maturity that began when we accepted Christ and continues until his return in that progression, that good work that he started within us. He will be faithful to bring it to completion. Of course, God knows that we can't do it on our own strength. And that doesn't mean, though, that we just sit there idly and let him perfect us and bring us um, more in alignment with who Christ is. No, it is a cooperative effort. We have our part. God's faithful with his, but we work together with him in bringing that about So for those of us that have asked Christ into our hearts, the Holy Spirit living in us, that's what's going to help us to be able to grow more and more like him, enabling us to be like Christ. As John Owen once wrote, he said, He, meaning the Lord, works in us and with us, not against us or without us, so that his assistance is an encouragement as the facilitating of the work and no occasion of neglect as to the work itself. In other words, God's faithful to complete the good work that he started in us. Paul had assurance that that God had started that work in the saints in Philippi. And he knew God to be faithful to continue his work, bringing that to completion. But he was encouraging the Philippians to continue to stay the course, to stay faithful. And I'm sure that when Paul had moments of of reflection, um, certainly sitting in prison, um, not only praising God, I'm sure he took time to reflect back on his life and what God had done. And, and the Apostle Paul, if you'll recall, was, was radically changed um, and, 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 and converted, but even after that, he was still under construction. Still under construction. Because he went from being a persecutor of the church 
to a faithful saint, to a church planter, to a missionary. And so I'm sure that, that Paul saw God's faithfulness reflected in his life, and so he could state that with confidence to the Philippian church. And thankfully, it's preserved for us to also be encouraged. God is working in and through us, and he's faithful to bring it to completion. So as we finish out reading the text this morning with verses 7 and 8, Paul affectionately writes this. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in... Excuse me. And defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with a tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Paul expresses the close relationship again that he has with the saints in Philippi. And he's in partnership with them through that special favor, which is the grace of God. And he desires to see them and encourage them in in person. But we know that, that he was in prison and in chains. And so they were still connected, though, through the love and the grace of Christ. Because that's what binds the the family of God together. The the love and grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take communion this morning in just a moment. But let me wrap up this with with just a few thoughts. And then I'm going to end with a few questions before we take communion. In spite of their reality, the church in Philippi sought to give richly. They wanted to give generously. And they did it first of of giving themselves to Christ. That was their first step. And then they partnered with Paul in the work. And then also with the fellow believers in Jerusalem. And they didn't do it reluctantly or out of compulsion, but out of what they had decided in their hearts to give. What did the Holy Spirit put on their hearts to give? And they gave obediently. They gave out of an outward flow of the inward joy that they had in their hearts. And they gave just as God wanted them to. Partnering with God, out of joy, they gave generously. The question for some of us this morning is, have you believed? Have you believed in Christ? That he died on the cross so that you could be set free, that you could enter into that relationship again with God that sin had had separated you in? Have you asked him to begin that good work in you? Has the construction started? Now, maybe you're here and, and you've just, you know, maybe it's been that you've been to church, but it's just, you just never really quite said, yes, that's what I need. I need to have God start changing me because what's do, what I'm doing now is not working. That is available to you today to just believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, that your sins are forgiven when you confess them to the, to the Lord, and you will be saved claiming him as Lord and Savior. 
For others of us, the question might be, is there something that's hindering the joy that's in your heart this morning? You're needing to have that, that joy button reset Again, last week we talked about sometimes the pressures and, and just the, the chaos of life can, can damper our joy. And maybe you're just needing to have a, a little reset. But maybe you've recognized that, that that hindered joy in your life has kind of stopped that generous giving that you want to, to be about. And you're needing God to, to minister to you in that area. I don't know how everybody grew up. Maybe you grew up where life was really hard. Um, I, I've heard stories of, of, of people I know that they only had oatmeal. That's what they ate, three meals a, a day. They only had oatmeal. Um, some of you grew up in the era of the Depression. And maybe you have that, that underlying fear that, that, you don't, that you, you're not going to have enough if you give generously. Maybe some of you are being tested with many troubles as, as the church in Philippi was. And, and you're thinking, if I give generously, then I'm not going to have enough to take care of these troubles that I'm facing right now. And I think it's good for us to be reminded that God's word tells us that the Macedonian churches, specifically Philippi, was not only very poor, but they were being tested with many troubles. And yet they give generously, cooperating with God as he continued the work that he had started in them. They give generously out of the inward joy that they received from Christ. Joy produces overflowing generosity. Joy.